Welcome to the Avail Leadership Podcast, where our goal is to help you take your leadership to the next level. My name is Virgil Sierra, and today we're going to be talking with Pastor Mark Varghese from Kingdom City Church. Mark is a leader, writer, former attorney, and family man. He has a lot of insight to share with us about how leaders can thrive during this current season. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Avail Leadership Podcast. As always, we are aiming to help you in the art of leadership here with Avail. My name is Virgil Sierra. Uh, I'm the Avail Media host. I'm also the lead pastor of Vertical Church, also known as Iglesia Vertical in South Florida, where we are one church, two languages. And today, uh, we have a great conversation with Pastor Mark Varghese. We're going to get to that in a moment. Uh, Remember, everybody, that Avail Leadership exists to bring practical, relevant leadership content and resources for all of you leaders out there, whether it's church, marketplace, or ministry, we want to add value to you. Uh, So as I just said a moment ago, we are connecting today. We have the honor of connecting with Pastor Mark Varghese, who is the lead, uh, the senior leader and the founder of Kingdom City Church a vibrant body of believers with locations all over the world. If I'm not mistaken, it could be 10 countries or more. He'll let us know about that. He's a former lawyer. He's a leadership expert. He's husband to Jemima, and he is father to Zeke and Caleb. Uh, Mark is also working on his first book and an amazing conference, which we're going to let you all know about as well. Pastor Mark, we are so honored that you would take time to connect with us here at the Avail Leadership Podcast, and I know that this time together is going to be enlightening, encouraging, and inspiring, and I would love for all of our Avail Leadership people to get to know you. Pastor Mark, can you tell us a little bit about your story, where you're at, how God got you there, and what God's doing now? Well, Virgil, firstly, it's a great honor to be with you and all your listeners and everybody connected to Avail. Uh, thanks for the privilege. Uh, as you've given me already such a high introduction, I feel, uh, I feel excited to bring that back to some sort of reality. But the re- here's my story in a nutshell. Uh, I was born in Singapore, uh, grew up in Malaysia, but of Indian origin, ethnicity. My grandparents were from there originally, migrated to Malaysia, Singapore, that part of the world, Southeast Asia uh, in the wow. 1930s. Uh, But at the age of nine, our family moved to Perth, Western Australia, the west coast of Australia. And that really where I grew up. That's where I did my high school, my primary school, went to university, uh, became an attorney for all the Americans there, lawyer, did studied law and commerce and um, worked in industry for a couple of firms for five years. And I enjoyed that. But I guess I always had a desire to to, to know God. I, I didn't, the, the context of our journey is a bit like this. I grew up in a very conservative sort of background. Um, and so I knew God to be real, but distant and sovereign, but out there somewhere one day. Then we came to Perth and we went to this local church and the pastor talked about God like he knew him. And that was really uh, strange for me. And it was a little uh, disturbing, but it also stirred in me uh, an awareness that if God can be known, what, what else is there to do? So it really set, on me, uh, set me on a journey to, to know God. Uh, got saved, got filled with the Holy Spirit. Every experience I had in the context of my walk with God happened from once we moved to Australia. And then really, I had no desire to work for Him. I just wanted to know Him. I wanted to be a lawyer, do well with that. 
and uh, you know happy to fund the kingdom and do missions but really uh, after a while it became clear that um, five years of practicing law there, there was a sense of shift in me there was a sense of a change and uh, I didn't know exactly what that would look like I thought I was going to do an MBA and maybe go into other things but what happened is the pastor I was serving under asked if I would quit my job and come full-time on staff and that was a huge uh, move because I essentially went to a quarter of my salary. Uh, I was single and so I had no kids, nothing. So I was, uh, it was easier to transition in that sense. But that's what happened. And then I thought, okay, let's see how this goes. And uh, two and a half years later, I was ready to sort of get out of it again and go back into the marketplace. And I was probably going through some personal challenges as far as, you know, who am I? Where do I fit? What does this look like? And then at the age of 30, I had what I call my burning bush moment, which was an encounter with God so overwhelming that it literally took me out of the hole that I was in and it set me up in a way that I never thought I could be internally. Uh, but it was still crazy because I felt in that encounter, God told me to leave Australia, move to Malaysia and start a church, which was, I had no reference or grid for that. So I sold my house, bought a one-way ticket, to an Islamic country without a visa and just moved. And uh, that's where Kingdom City started. And that was 14 years ago. And the rest has been an adventure ever since. Uh, we started Malaysia. A year later, I meet Jemima. Uh, on our first coffee, we decide to get married. Five months later, we're married. She moves the next day, her whole life to Malaysia, joins me there. And then within the next year, uh, she's expecting our first child. At the same time, the church in Perth that sent me uh, the pastor rang me and said, would you consider coming back uh, and leaving uh, Malaysia to take on the church? Because he was moving into a new season. And I, I said, listen, uh, I, I had an encounter with God to move here. I need more than a phone call to come back. And he said, fair enough. The next day he rings up and says, all right, you don't have to leave Malaysia. We just want to give you the church anyway. We feel it's, uh, you know, this is the right thing to do. So I was confused. How do you lead a church in two countries? And this is before multi-site was that, uh, you know, prevalent. And this is in 2008. And so we just felt it was God. And really there were challenges associated with that, which is a story for another time. It's a lot of it's in my book that's coming out. But really for the next five years, we lived between two countries. We had a home in each. And every uh, you know, three months we were uprooting. I was never in one country more than 20 days. And uh, that's been my life for 10 years until COVID-19 struck. So the reality around... Our adventure over the last 14 years has been pretty chronic, pretty crazy. And uh, really those two cities, those two locations became the, the base, the platform. And then in 2013, uh, we sort of uh, hit a convergence moment. And then from 2014 onwards, every year we planted new cities, new countries, and uh, God's been really good to us. Wow, that is, that's an amazing story, which is obviously still in progress, but it's, 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 as a person uh, who's who's bilingual, right, um, and I and we do church in two languages. Uh, I know that you guys are in ten countries, if I'm not mistaken. How many languages? Yeah, so we're in ten countries. There were four sort of ready to go before COVID, and so we put them on pause until the world sort of resets at whatever normal it does. But in terms of languages, um, Cambodia. Botswana, they have a Sitswana, a different dialect there. Uh, Malaysia, obviously, there's a lot of uh, translations there, Mandarin, um, even Bahasa. Indonesia, there's another language there. So there, there's a few. I mean, there's a lot of different languages, but uh, really, 
uh, we, we, the predominant one is English and then we yeah. get that translated or the pastors then um, make that applicable and relevant to their congregation. That's amazing. I, I'm, I admire that so much because I can imagine just, just, I mean, just thinking about that can be overwhelming, but the journey that you've been on, the Lord's just opened the doors. I want to take a step back um, uh, on your story, which I think is intriguing to all of us who are connected and listening in here. Um, you made a transition. I remember I went to school. I got my master's degree as an occupational therapist. I worked as a health wow. professional for some years, uh, whether it was pediatrics, you know, helping, you know, kids to develop or, you know, older adults, geriatrics. And, and I remember kind of what you described, kind of thinking that was what I was going to do. And then all of a sudden there's this call. So tell us a little bit about the transition from the field of law to full-time ministry. You know, what was that transition like and how did you know it was the right move? Wow. Uh, well, I at the time, there was no angels. There was no divine sign that was that externally um, significant. <laughs> but I had a sense when I was at my second law firm that there was a change coming. I did not expect it to be this. But when my pastor asked me to do this, there was a strange sense of peace that made no sense. The reason I say strange is because, um, you know, intellectually, it made very little sense. Like I don't right. know how to make bills add up and a whole bunch of stuff connected with that. But at the same time, I thought, okay, well, I'll talk to my parents and a few other people, and I'm sure they'll talk me out of it. And they were like, well, if that's what the Lord wants, I just knew it was the right thing to do. I guess I didn't know what was on the other side of that step. But I, as I stepped into it, uh, it became clear that, uh, you know, I'd love the restaurant, but I had no grid for how the kitchen worked. And right. so the transition from law to ministry, um, there was a much more of a relational uh, environment in ministry than there was in, in law, um, not as professional, not as maybe um, uh, intense in some ways, but in other ways more intense. Uh, and really my role when I got on, I could not even say that I was going to a third world or developing world country to be a missionary. That would have sounded noble because all my extended family are all professionals, doctors, lawyers, and engineers, accountants. That's just the, the way the family is. And so mm. when I decided to go into ministry, they didn't see it as some amazing career move. They thought, what's wrong with you? Do, do you want to be poor? Like, why do you want to do this? You can be a Christian and be an engineer or a lawyer. And that's, right. the, that's the truth. But for me, this was what I needed to do. Uh, probably historically, I thought, wait till I'm 50, you know, and then get cashed up, saved up, and then do some nice work in the mission field. But that wasn't the path that I was supposed to take. And uh, I just knew it was the right thing. But there was certainly no dramatic external signs that I can point to. Um, right. But it was, if I look back now, I think it was still till today the biggest move I've made uh, because, yeah. you know, people make a big deal in a very honoring way about, you know, leaving Perth or going to Malaysia to start a church or whatever. But really the biggest move was actually quitting law because essentially yeah. I was turning my back on not only five years of education and work experience, but I was basically saying this is it because if that didn't work, I, I couldn't have just rejoined the law bandwagon. Right. You're starting a lot further back. So I look back now and I think that was the moment I really gave my life completely over to God. Because what he said after that would have been secondary. If he said, yeah. go to Mexico and start an orphanage, or if he said, go to Africa and feed the poor, or he said, go to Europe and play football with the royal family, or he said, go to Malaysia and start a church, all the same, really, because once you've given up your life, what comes after that really doesn't matter. Yeah, that's, that's huge. You know, uh, Dr. Sam Chan talks about this 
thing in a book called Your Next Bold Move, right? And and this was a, definitely a bold move. Yeah. I, I, something came to my mind because I, I, I feel I can relate a lot to, to your story in, in that sense. Now, here's a question. And I, and I know some leaders need to hear this. Some, some senior leaders and pastors need to hear this. You got this opportunity from, a, from your pastor. Now, have you been on the other side where as a pastor, you see ministry calling in, in, a, in a man or a woman, maybe a young leader, and you have said, hey, I see calling in your life. As your pastor, I want to provide this opportunity. H have you been on this side? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, our church has grown. Our team has grown. We've got a staff of about 170, 180 staff globally now. So a lot of them have taken risks and steps of faith uh, in their own world. You know, it doesn't have to be comparable to mine, but in their own way, they've taken their own steps of faith. And uh, I think what helps, though, now sitting on the other side of the fence is whoever I talk to understands they are talking to someone who has yeah. done what they're about to do, you know, at some level. So I think even though everyone's story is unique and, uh, you know, the, everyone's got their own price to pay, uh, that helps because that sort of courage and faith is contagious. So really, yeah. when you take a step of faith, what happens is it awakens in every other leader around you the desire to, for, for that same sort of adventure. Maybe slightly different, but that same thing is contagious. You know, people, the first year when I went to Malaysia, nobody cared about my sermon. I mean, whatever I preached on, all they wanted to know at the end of the service was, so why did you leave law? So why did you leave Australia? Because everyone in Malaysia is trying to get out of Malaysia, or not everybody, but a lot of them, because, yeah. you know, that's, a, that's just what happens. Um, and I could have spoken on forgiveness and they would have said, great message, Pastor. So why did you leave law? You know, I could have spoken on peace and they said, great message. Why, why did you leave Australia? They just wanted to know the adventure that, it under, that, that, that I'd undergone because your actions do speak louder than your words. You know, that's so good. And, and, and you know, kind of like you, in, these, in this last, I would say last year and a half, two years, I've really, the Lord's put on my heart some, some, some young men, some young leaders in our church that I just see ministry calling on their lives. And, and my wife and I, who, who, who lead together, we pastor together, you know, to be honest with you, Pastor Mark, we, I, I, was, I was just worried, like, what's too much? You know, uh, even though I had been in that boat, so to speak, when my father passed the, the, the baton on, you know, but it's that I, I was afraid, am I going to push too much? Am I going to scare them away? Or, you know, am I really right about this? And shouldn't they hear the calling themselves and come and offer themselves, you know? And I think yeah. some pastors might struggle with this, right? Yeah, I don't tend to push. So at the end of the day, I know it's a sacrifice. I'm not diminishing the price they pay. But if I have to twist their arm to get them to say yes, I'm going to have to keep twisting their arm to keep them saying yes. And really, the same pressure you apply to attract someone is the same pressure you'll have to sustain to keep them. Wow. And I do not have the emotional energy to do that. So really, it, it is what it is. And people have to make the, the choice. If they're willing to say yes, they're the ones. You know, Jesus didn't uh, beg people to come on the journey. He didn't even entice them. He just said, follow me. You know, I tell our leaders that he didn't have a follow-up program. He had a follow-me program because right. he wasn't there rounding up the reluctant. He was actually just going on an adventure of destiny. And people were magnetically attracted that they left their occupation, their family, whatever, to do it. But I have no desire or ever interest in pressurizing or even the hard word on. I mean, I'll encourage, I'll give vision, I do all of that. Yeah. But the minute there's a sense of hardness of heart or a resistance... I'm the first one to uh, go, no problems. You know, we, everyone is accepted whether they come or don't come. Right. But I definitely don't want to 
add any weight to that from my end as right. the pastor because uh, that's just a burden you're going to have to sustain. That's so good. I think just this has already been a huge help for some people who are praying through some things, thinking some leaders who are thinking through some things. All right, here's my next question, Pastor Mark. In this 2020, which I think is a year that goes in its own category outside of every other year, oh. year and decade, right? 2020, COVID-19, this season has been a crazy season. What would you say is, is one of the biggest lessons you've learned? How has this situation and circumstance changed your, your personal approach to leadership? I mean, it's been a r ridiculously unique year, obviously. I'm really proud of our team. Our staff team, are, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but greatest team in the world because literally in one Zoom meeting, 170 staff pivoted on 24 hours notice. And I said, we're not going from being a church in 10 countries. You know, before COVID, we were, you know, running 55 services a weekend globally around the world. Now we went in one weekend from 55 to three. The whole world shut down in the same 10-day span, essentially, uh, and yeah. certainly the countries we were in. And so really in that moment, everybody let go of their HR, their job title, uh, whatever they thought their role was, and just moved into whatever areas were needed. And really, whether it was providing content for online or whether it was pastoral care and follow-up and just ringing through the church to check in that everyone was okay, uh, our team pivoted so uh, adaptably and flexibly, which uh, you know I'm, I'm amazingly proud of. I think as the season then uh, evolved, the one thing I've seen, I guess if I had to look back and say how has it shifted, I've, I've had to dial up the encouragement quota and the vision quota because what happens in a storm is uh, it's harder to see through the storm. I mean, in, in blue sky, it's easy. Vision is almost evident for most people who are on a team. But when you don't know what's going to happen or, you know, you can't make two, three, four year plans anymore, um, you've yeah. got to keep uh, helping them see through the storm. And, you, you know, it's, you always give vision and you always give encouragement. But the quotient of that has had to be dialed up significantly because it's not just that they need the ability to see through the storm. Then they need the courage to actually continue to swim through it or walk through it, yeah. you know. And so I would say, you know, I don't know if it's changed uh, how I view leadership, apart from in a season like this, you have to change the way you lead to some degree because it isn't normal. You have to adapt. But really, just by dialing up encouragement and vision, it gave them both the strength and the sight to continue. That's good. <clears throat> vision, encouragement. Can we get practical here? Um, how do you dial up vision with your team? I think what it is, is because of the nature of the world where we didn't know whether we could travel, a large part of our world is based around travel, not just my travel. There's a global team, there's, you know, passes that travel, there's a lot of engagement that way. Um, they had to now go, well, is this, is this it? Like, are we, you know, obviously we expect this to end and this season to pass. But I think from a vision point of view, especially a lot of the pastors where they couldn't meet their congregations anymore, you know, they, or they couldn't gather. So it was vision beyond the temple gathering, so to speak. You know, in Acts 2, it talks about uh, they met in the temple and house to house. Uh, and fear came upon every soul. So there, right there, you have three layers of true revival, true uh, impact, which is the corporate uh, gathering. Uh, there's the house to house gathering. And then there's each person needing their own encounter and their own revelation. And so really, when the temple gatherings were removed, essentially, we then had to say, listen, let's make sure 
our house to house is strong. You know, at the end of the day, if our church was only as strong as our Sunday meetings, we're not very strong. We're large, but we're not strong. And our heart has always been to be a strong church, not just a large one. So vision in the season looks practically like, let's make sure that the house to house is strong, make sure every person is doing okay. And, and you know, you have to... You have to worship without the environment of the lights and the sound. You have to pray without a pastor being able to put his hand on your forehead or your shoulder. And so everyone's had to dig deep. And I think it's a season where the the skeletons are coming out of the closet. God's dealing with issues. God's dealing with people's hearts. And really, he's saying it's like a pit stop. And that's the picture God showed me. At the end of the day, a pit stop is not the end of a race in a Formula One or a NASCAR. It's not the end of the race. It's actually an intentional, strategic uh, halt to reset a whole bunch of stuff because there's more of the race ahead. And if you don't get it sorted out, you won't finish the race well. And so really, I look at this whole season as a pit stop, not a full stop. And it's really a time for us to sort some things out, get some things strong. And that's why in that season, vision looks like, hey, this is not the end of the race. It's sometimes just saying, keep going. It's not over. In fact, for a lot of people, it's the start of a brand new day. It's the start of a brand new season. And uh, yeah. for that reason, uh, vision is look, look, looks, looks a lot like that. It's, it's encouragement in the you can do it, but it's not you can do it. We don't know where this is going. You can do it. And yes, I'm not going to prophesy exactly what's going to happen in 2021 or 2022. But following God means I know who I'm following, even if I don't know where I'm yeah. going. You know, that's so good. That, that there's a reality of trust in this whole journey that is easier to navigate when you're doing it together. If you're by yourself, it's a bit awkward. But when you're with others, the journey of trust into the unknown feels a little better. That's so good. Let's get practical here on this. What have you found to be the best way to encourage your team? I mean, you got a staff of 170. I'm sure, uh, you know, the amount of volunteer leaders and key players are even, you know, way more than that in different countries. How do you encourage your team? I think, look, the thing is, I'm not the only encourager. There's a whole team. Each, each That is broken up into different countries and regions and departments. Each of them have leaders as well. So it, there's an encouragement culture that's more important than an encouragement message. See, if it's a culture, it's what generally everybody will continue to do. Uh, and it's yeah. not just me encouraging them. It's them encouraging me. It's, it's, it's a mutual sense of atmosphere where we put courage in and whether it's me to a staff member or whether it's a staff member to another staff member or it's a, one of our global team. You know, we do devotions daily at 8 a.m. It's all, all online and uh, that's an encouragement. Then, you know, we've got, we all live on WhatsApp. And so the, the, we've got this thing called the global kitchen where people share testimonies. Testimonies are a big one. We found in this season that there's so many stories of salvation, reconciliation, provision, protection, healing, all of that. And so when, you, when one of them hears a story, they put it on the chat and it, in that sense, it encourages everyone else to keep going. So it's not just uh, positive, keep going kind of messages. Sometimes when you see that God is working in the middle of all the hard work, that itself is fuel for the journey. So it's practically online stuff, texting, Zoom, FaceTime, whatever it looks like. And it's not just me. If it was just me as the source of encouragement, I'd be exhausted. But there's a culture around encouragement that means people are encouraging each other. And I think that is where it really starts to have a multiplied effect. Yeah, I think, I think that's the key there uh, for, for all of us leaders listening here and trying to get something here is 
It's we have to build it into the culture. It's not something we're just doing right now because we have to do it. It's part of who we are. That's so good, Pastor Mark. Okay, so in this journey, um, you know, of of ministry, of leading uh, campuses in different cities, different countries, um, and obviously ex experiencing growth as a ministry, you've learned how to take calculated risks. Uh, you might even call them leaps of faith. And uh, this is part of the leadership journey. What advice would you give to leaders who are trying to discern whether or not to take certain risks, even at this time? That's a challenge. Yeah. Wow, that's a great question. I think um, for me personally, peace is number one. Uh, peace has been the, to me, the, the, the key issue for every decision I've taken. And you, you don't really want to take any decision that you don't have peace on. Now, peace is the kind of peace that is not an intellectual peace. It's a supernatural peace. You know, the scripture talks about peace that passes beyond all understanding. So your logic hits a level. It's a bit like, you know, I'm not going to be able to pay the bills. I can't work out how this is going to lead to that. I'm not sure how this has any relevance to this, but I've got this amazing peace. Um, you know, and peace is, is, is number one. Obviously, prayer in that moment is, is vital. I mean, submitting it to God, seeing what God is saying, at least give him an opportunity to speak, even if you don't get any dramatic signs or lights, right. just the simple submission of the decision to God, I think he honors and he rewards. And I pray simple prayers like God shut the wrong doors and open the right ones. And you just have to trust that the shepherd is leading you. Uh, counsel, I think, is a big part. So if you want to make it simple, peace, prayer, people, uh, you know, you've got to talk to people that, that, that you trust. Because at the end of the day, especially in a season like this, uh, you know, sometimes you need perspective. And, um, the, and again, I'm, in, I think, inherently quite strategic by nature. So while people see the crazy risks that maybe we've taken, um, it's set against the backdrop of thinking things through not necessarily calculating every risk, but you've also got to work out things. What's the price? You know, uh, this risk, who is it going to cost? Is, if it's me personally, it's one thing. If it's my family, it's another thing. If it's the whole church, it's a whole other thing. So you've got to be conscious of, in a sense, what's at stake and who's at stake. Uh, you know, Jesus said it's only a fool who builds a building and doesn't count the cost. It's still a risk to build a building, but you've got to think that through at some level. But I think if you're only making decisions with your mind, then it's clearly not a leap of faith. Our journey has been marked by constant leaps of faith or certainly decisions which don't have maybe natural reference or we're not copying someone else. And that's not just to be different. It's just trying to follow uh, the God who's leading us. And uh, he's got a unique path for everyone. So I think uh, every church, every movement, every person, uh, you're going to have to discover that yourself. And that's why you can't take someone else's decision based on their piece, you have to have your own. So that's why whether it's me asking someone to come on team or whether it's us planning a new city or whether it's us making a crazy move or trying something new, uh, I have to have a sense of peace. And then in a sense, and then in, in, a, in a sense, the, the prayer and the people and the perspective around all helps shape the decision. Okay, so I have a question. You just, you're talking about here, like taking a leap of faith sometimes, right? Is that something that can be developed? Um, does personality have anything to do with? Because I know, you know, I know even the people that I'm leading, some people who are like, risk, let's do it, you know, let's go. And then other people are like, wait a second, we need to talk about, you know, it, can this be developed? Does personality have something to play? You know, what would you say to the leader who's kind of struggling with that? 
I don't think uh, risk when it comes to taking steps of faith with God has anything to do with personality. See, the reality is I am actually an eldest Asian child, which if you want a definition for that, that's conservative. I'm actually not a maverick by nature. I'm pretty boring, to be honest. Uh, uh, like, you know, people jump out of planes for, for, for... You don't seem like a boring guy to me. Well, you're very kind. But I'm saying, look, I don't jump out of planes. When I go on holidays, I barely jump out of bed, right? I don't climb rocks. I don't climb mountains. I barely climb out of bed. So I'm, I'm not one of these adventurer types. If I was a maverick, you know, I don't have, I don't gamble. I don't have Bitcoin, any kind of coin. Nothing wrong with all of these things, but I'm just trying to make the point. My personality isn't some maverick risk-taking nature. And if it was, they'd go, oh, fair enough. This guy's a maverick. That's how he's leading Kingdom City. Fair enough. It fits. They'd put it down to my personality or my propensity. But because I'm not, that's what's added to the mystery. Now, the reality is, here's the other point. It's not just about, well, do I want to take a risk or not? The parable of the talents, you know, without me going into the detail, three guys, one given five, one given two, one given one. The only guy who didn't take a risk, it turned out bad for him. You know, and that shows me there's no such thing as risk-free stewardship. Everyone wants to be a good steward, but there's no way you can be a good steward and not take a risk. The only steward who didn't take a risk was called wicked and lazy. So really, for me, wow. not having that kind of personality uh, was never the issue. And I think when I look back, a large part of leaps of faith is fundamentally relational. It's, you know, when people talk about faith or risk, it's highly relational. Let me give you a simple example. If I went out to the street and I needed $100 and I just walked up to a stranger and asked for $100, my faith or my expectation that I'll get it is not that high because I don't know who I'm talking to. But if I went out to the street still needing $100 and I ran into my dad or a great friend and I said, oh, what are you doing here? Listen, I need $100. My faith that I'll get it is a lot higher because I know who I'm talking to. Same guy with the same need and the same request has now suddenly, same personality, suddenly higher faith because my expectation is linked to my relationship. And so that's why the more you know God, the deeper the risks you take. And it has nothing to do with personality. It has all to do with relationship. I mean, even, un, even non-Christians understand this. I, I worked as a lawyer and some of my non-unsaved friends would say, listen, can you, in a moment of personal crisis, can you have a word to the man upstairs for me? You know, you know really what they were saying is, you know him better than I. If you, if you mention it, there's a chance it'll happen. If I mention it, I haven't met it. So even unbelievers understand that risk is inherently relational. So really, when it comes to taking risk, it's not about what's your personality. It's not about, you know, do you jump out of planes or do you invest, do you gamble? It's how well do you know God? So when someone else looks at your crazy step of faith and says, you're crazy. No, no, they're just revealing their depth of relationship. Right. Or lack thereof. Right. That's so good. Okay. All right. This is good. This is good. This conversation is helping a lot of leaders right now. This is valuable. This is, this is gold right now. It's hard enough to build community in one church. It's hard enough to build community in two campuses in the same city. How do you build community globally? I know this is something that's, I would say it's, 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 it's rare. It's not as common to see a church that is pres globally present. Um, and you said it already that you have great leaders in place in these, all these different places, but but let's be honest, you're the lead leader and you're setting the tone, you and, 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 and Pastor Jemima and, you know, and your, key, your key people. How do you build community globally? Because I think that's, that's something that can, that can help everybody no matter where they are. 
I think uh, when we talk about community globally, the reality is the diversity of people around the world is something we celebrate. But when you talk about community, the connectedness around that is spatial. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, it's not that I'm connected to the 30,000 people personally in our church. I'm connected to the leaders, they're connected to their leaders who are connected to the leaders. Now, there are some things that we do globally, like say our global prayer night once a month, we sort of stream this and people tune in from all over the world uh, for that. And so there are, I guess, aligning moments where everybody, regardless of their race or their language or their personality or their ethnicity, they can lean in and feel like they're a part of something together. But at the same time, there's a mistake to try and make the whole global community uh, uniformity because it can't be because right. every person's different every ethnicity is different so how we are in Australia or Malaysia or uh, Africa or, the, or or Europe is gonna look different and so part of that is I guess distinguishing between principle and preference anything that is principle we unite around and that creates global community and family if anything that's preference we celebrate but we don't necessarily unite around so for example Hospitality is a principle and we can encourage the church globally to be hospitable, but how each culture manifests hospitality, what food they serve, how they do it is going to be different. The mistake with building global community is to try and make it all one. And I've seen people try to do that and it's putting Saul's armor on David and it ends up, uh, you know, you're fighting yourself, not the giant. And the reality around global community can, the mistake could be to try and bring uniformity, whereas what we need is unity, not uniformity. Yeah. Unity is not we all agree on everything. Unity is we're all committed to the same thing. Right. And see, Jemima and I are united, but we don't agree on everything. But because, see, at the core of unity is not actually agreement. You need agreement for unity. You can't have unity without agreement. But underneath agreement, if you appeal that to its core, it's actually commitment. So a global community is really a commitment to the one vision and to the one, but it's not necessarily agreement on everything. So when Jemima and I have a fight, which, you know, it doesn't happen that often, like not more than twice a day, uh, you know, what happens is, what happens is our agreement would make us separate, but because underneath there, there is a commitment, our commitment pulls us back to the table yeah. until we find agreement. If agreement is the base level of any level of unity, you're going to divorce every time there's a fight. You're going to split from the church every time you don't like a decision. And so really, you have to unite and commit to the principles that unite you. But when people start fighting over preference issues, I let that stuff go. You can't build a diverse community if you're going to fight over preferences. You've got to fight for principles because yeah. that transcends time, tribe color, language. So, you know, there's one Bible. There's not an American Bible, Ethiopian Bible, Cambodian Bible, Australian Bible. There's one Bible and it's one God and he's God overall. So if the power of the gospel is the power of God under salvation, it should work everywhere. Male, female, Jew, Gentiles, slave free, and we're all one. So I think you've got to then distill what is truly principle that can unite a global community as opposed to what is merely preference that we all tend to fight for and nothing wrong with preference, but keep that to you and your tribe and let that be celebrated rather than enforced. I love it. This is so good. Um, even as you're, as you're uh, just shooting these nuggets of wisdom out, I'm thinking of so many things that make so much sense. Um, I love the concept 
the concept of unity as opposed to uniformity because it's a natural thing to say well we want that to be the same you know we want that we want to have you know franchise type mentality but the reality is that every culture is different especially in a global community um all right L- let's go a little more kind of on a personal level here pastor mark um what projects what passions is the lord placing on your heart right now you know for for the near future for 2021 even beyond you know what what what's the lord speaking to you what's he placing on your heart and, and what projects are around the corner uh there's a really exciting one in my spirit which is probably 18 months away but we really feel to start a school uh a school a global online school which is really going to provide uh, world-class education from, you know, pre-primary to high school. There's a lot of work that has to go into that. Uh, and, uh, you know, that might be growing underground for the next six to 12 months before it has the kind of life we want. But I really feel that's one of the mountains we need to impact personally, uh, to impact our children and the next generation that's growing up. Uh, that's really something that's been on my heart for probably a few years, but I've avoided it. And I've sort of said, God, bring the right person. But every time I pray about it, I see mirrors. And so I'm like, oh, no, I know what this means, you know. (laughs) Um, But I think in terms of the church and where God's taken us, I think it's not just more of the same in terms of strategy, because that's going to look very different. But we started an online community. People all over the world are now connected into Kingdom City uh, community. I mean, content is available everywhere you look, but community is not really available. And yet there are people all over the world for whatever reason, lonely and looking to lean in. And uh, so I think that's going to be a huge part of our future. Also a strategic key to see where there's interest as God opens the right doors. Uh, But really it's a time to reshape how we've done what we've done, but it doesn't change the vision because I know that was meant to be a generational thing. The methods and the way we achieve that are absolutely going to change and shift. But uh, I feel that we have an amazing team, that we're ready to pivot Everything about our journey that hasn't made sense makes sense in hindsight, but in the moment, it's always a little blurry and confusing. I grew up, I grew up as a child not showing whether I was an Asian that lived in Australia or an Australian that was, I was too Aussie to be Asian, but I was too Asian to be Aussie. And so I didn't really know what I was. And then here I am, an Asian who grew up in the West, and Jemima's a Westerner who grew up in Asia. And what I thought was my dysfunction Um, was actually divine preparation because now crossing cultures is the least of my problems. So really every storm that we're in in 2020, I believe is just merely divine preparation for what is about to happen if we would just steward it well. I love that. What, what, what I saw as dysfunction was really divine preparation, Uh, man. Just drop the mic right there, Pastor Mark. All right. So we have a big conference coming up. You got you guys, Kingdom City's putting on a big conference uh, in October 2020. If I'm not mistaken, it's the first time that this is going, this going online only, uh, so to speak. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, the conference uh, and, and who's going to be there, what, what, what the heart is and how people can connect. So we've started a conference the last few years, but because of this year, uh, we decided to take the conference online and obviously globally. It's free, uh, but you do have to register, kingdomcityconference.com. Anyone, anywhere can, can be a part of this. It's over three days or nights, depending on which time zone you're in. And really, there's a couple of sessions each day, and re- they'll be live for at least 24 hours. It'll be up. But 
really the heart behind this is to not only speak faith and life into every person around the globe, it's to connect our church globally, but the church and anyone else who uh, really wants to lean in and uh, reap the blessing of whatever is being sown over these three days. We've got John and Lisa Bavia speaking at it. We've got Chris Derso, great pastor from New York. Uh, and also there's a lot of other uh, great leaders that I'm having conversations with that are part of the journey of this conference. So, uh, you know, we're releasing music and my book, I think, is available. It's free, actually, to everyone who's a part of the conference. So if you register, yeah, if you register, it's actually free. And then if you actually log in and log on during the conference, you get an e-book, uh, my, my first book, Ready, Fire, Aim, which is really enc- encompasses some of what we've chatted about today. Uh, so it's, can you pause, it's available. Pause for a second, pause for a second. Yeah. Ready, Fire, Aim. Can you explain that? Yeah, Ready, ready Fire, Aim, as opposed to Ready, Aim, Fire. Now, Ready, Fire, right. Aim is completely irresponsible advice if you're holding a firearm. But... <laughs> But Ready, Fire, Aim describes a little bit of what we've talked about, taking a bit of risk. You know, God says, you ready? Fire. And the reason a lot of us ready, aim, fire when it comes to God is even though God says, you're ready, we're not, we don't think we are. We don't think we're ready, so we aim. And we aim and we aim and we aim. The bunny has left the country, but we're still aiming because we're fearful about what will happen once we pull the trigger or once we launch the arrow. And the reality around that is... If you really boil it down to, most of us have more trust in our own aim mm. than God's ability to guide the moving bullet. Whereas once you say yes, he, he'll, he'll guide you. He'll, he'll, he'll align what seems misdirected. <laughs> and so Ready, Fire, Aim really describes not only our journey, but I think the journey that a lot of people in their heart ache for, which is an adventure. Yeah. Following God is absolutely an adventure. Anyone who says following God is boring is following the wrong God. So I honestly want to encourage every leader to think through their life, not from an excitement machine like is every day exciting. Some days, are, you know, they are what they are. But the one thing walking on water is, you can call it stupid, crazy, risky, but it's not boring. So we're meant, I'd, I'd hate for leaders to drown in the boat. And really, the desire to do more, I think, resides in everybody. Uh, whether join a team, take a step of faith, make that move shift that thing, do whatever you got to do. And hopefully this will actually speak life and conviction and faith into everybody that listens or reads it. That's awesome. Well, everybody, you guys, if, if you're listening to this podcast before October, what's the days in October for this? Second, second, third, and fourth. Um, yeah. Yeah. And which is uh, sort of outside of the world time, but really it'll be up for 24 hours. So anytime in North or South America or anywhere else around the world people are at, uh, it'll be available at an hour that is a, that's suitable for everybody. Yes. So you guys can go to uh, kingdomcityconferencealtogether.com, kingdomcityconference.com. It's going to be an amazing conference. It's going online. Uh, John and Lisa Bevere, Pastor Mark and Pastor Jemima, of course, as the hosts pastors for this conference and i'm sure there's going to be a lot of other surprises in that journey um pastor mark this has been such a such an encouraging uh conversation even for me as as we're talking through this because i just think the lord has a way of speaking to us what we need to hear right when we need to hear it and i know that that's going to happen over and over as as leaders listen into this podcast or even watch this video of the podcast um man i'm can i just say uh I really admire what you guys are doing. I, I, 
I honor, you know, I honor you as, as a pastor and as a leader uh, for taking risks that many aren't willing to take on your journey for being obedient to the calling of God on your life. Um, and again, just, just kind of at a distance, just really saying, man, I, I, Lord, I'm so proud of, I'm so proud of Kingdom City Church. Um, and I've never even been there. I'm over here in, in South Florida, right? I'm so proud of what you're doing and just hearing you connecting here and hopefully getting online on that conference is going to, is going to just uh, continue building bridges between brothers and sisters in Christ. So we applaud you and we're thankful for your life. W what an awesome opportunity for me. Can you share some last thoughts, some last comments uh, with everybody who's connected here? Well, Virgil, firstly, thank you. You must be the most encouraging host I've ever spoken to and the <laughs> nicest questionnaire that I've ever uh, received. So Look, thank you for your encouragement. And uh, look, I think in a time like this, we are all united. You know, every now and then Hollywood releases a movie where the, the enemy is an alien or some external force, which is meant to unite the world. See, a pandemic should really unite the world. And yet, sadly, we've seen the world more fragmented and divided uh, than ever. And, you know, when, when, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, aliens or, or Avengers or one of these things, you know, when, whenever a foreign enemy from another galaxy comes, the world should unite. And really, the, yeah. the, the greatest prayer that we should pray is the one Jesus prayed in John 17. God, we need yeah. to be one. Not one as in uniformity, but one as in unity. Not one as in one location or one subscription or one, one in heart yeah. all over the world fighting for the same cause toward the same end. And that's the betterment of humanity. That's the good of us getting out of this hole where we can continue to learn, hopefully at the end of this, a love for one another, regardless of our differences and a sense of unity that can actually uh, connect, combine and accelerate uh, everything that God wants to do in and through every person. So, you know, whether they're a believer or not, we should love, reach out and strengthen one another as best we can because there is a common enemy. Uh, COVID-19 isn't the enemy. It's just the, the, the disguise that the enemy is using in this season. But if ever we could be united by a common enemy, it should be 2020. So it's my prayer and hope that everyone puts aside the petty stuff, lays aside the things that divide, and actually looks and sees the best in each another and actually reaches forward toward a future that I still believe uh, is ahead of all of us. I agree 100% couldn't have said it better. Um, everybody, thanks for connecting with us today. Uh, Pastor Mark, thanks for the invitation to the online uh, global conference, everybody. Remember, it's kingdomcityconference.com. A couple of reasons you want to connect to that is because there's world-class leaders that are going to be speaking and imparting uh, during that conference. Also, you'll be able to get Pastor Mark's upcoming book, Ready, Fire, Aim, kingdomcityconference.com. And by the way, if they want to know more about the church, what's the church website? Yeah, just kingdomcity.com. And so they're welcome. We've got YouTube and we've got all our messages and our music and all the stuff that we do. So anyone's welcome anytime, really. Anything we have that can bless anyone anywhere, uh, by all means, feel free to access that. And uh, we'd love to Love to be a blessing and love to hear from anyone, really. There's, if there's lonely people out there who need connection, there's an online community. But really, all our content's available for anybody and anyone everywhere. 
So good. Everybody, uh, make sure you reach out and connect with Kingdom City Church. They're doing amazing things in so many different countries, uh, home base in, in Perth, Australia, and also uh, in Malaysia. I want to mention also the Avail Journal. I don't know, Pastor Mark, if you've seen the Avail Journal, if you've been able to hold one in your hands, but I got one here in my hands. The Avail Journal, Dr. Sam Chan and the Avail team are doing an amazing job. You can get a free annual subscription to the Avail Journal by going to availjournal.com. And I just want to say, Pastor Mark, I want to say I've, I've had a lot of journals and magazines in my hand, but this one, the way it feels, the way it looks, this is quality stuff. It's world-class. The, the, the content's world-class, but even like you said, the, the material is world-class. You, you're holding on to it like, man, I don't want to ruin this book. It's amazing. So everybody, make sure you go to availjournal.com. You can claim your free. It's not just one. It's not just one journal. It's a free annual subscription. They come out quarterly. So make sure you go to availjournal.com for that. Pastor Mark, what an honor. What a blessing. Please uh, give Pastor Jemima, the rest of the family, our love on behalf of Avail Leadership. And everybody who's connected, we love you. We thank you for connecting with us. And remember, you can always increase in the art of leadership as you connect with us here at the Avail Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time and we'll connect next time. Wasn't that a rewarding time with Pastor Mark Verghese? Talk about wisdom and experience leading globally. Remember, you can sign up for the Kingdom City Conference at kingdomcityconference.com. Also, get your hands on the Avail Journal. Remember, you can claim your free annual subscription of the Avail Journal at availjournal.com. As always, thank you for connecting with us to learn the art of leadership here at the Avail Leadership Podcast.